So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 is what we're covering this morning. And Paul here, he is kind of embarking on uh, a new portion in a sense. He's, he's going to say things uh, that he's said already, but a little bit differently. And he's just finished remarking to uh, the Colossians about the insufficiency of the false teacher's message. Now, if, if uh, to catch you kind of up where we're at, the Colossian church is under the influence of these false teachers who were proclaiming asceticism, who were proclaiming that uh, in order to, to be more spiritual, there was an opportunity to uh, participate in uh, things that were harmful to your body, such uh, as like extreme fasting. Um, and, and he even calls it at one point... Uh, I think thing calls it practices that are harmful to your body. It's not just simple fasting as Jesus has declared, you know, that we should partake in, but rather the point of their fasting is uh, to, to do two things. It's one, to incite uh, within themselves to bring about hallucinations, and perhaps this is the, the root cause of uh, the characteristic of their teaching where it says that they, they go on endlessly about their visions that they've seen. So they're bringing themselves to a place where they're purposefully weak so they can experience these you know, hallucinations, these visions, or whatever they're proclaiming, and, and uh, so they can seem to be more spiritual. Uh, we're also told that uh, they're participating in the worship of angels. We're told also that, uh, that, that Paul describes their teaching as not according to Christ, but according to human tradition. And, and so Paul's been trying to write to, to the Colossians to remind them that they don't need to be under uh, the influence of these false teachers, because it's easy to to, to be told that there's another level, right? In our life, everybody wants to upgrade. Whenever there's a new phone out, you don't ever get a worse phone, right? You always want an upgrade. So if there's, someone says, oh, there's something better, you always think, oh, well, I better, I better go and get that. And, you know, when you're, when you're considering a new car, you pretty much never get, you never downgrade your car. You know, you go from no AC to AC. You never, like, just go and purposefully buy a beater when you have, like, a brand new car already. That's kind of how we live our lives, and in a sense, that's kind of like the American way. You know, that's, that's how, we, how we live. We want to we move forward. And, and in a sense, that's, that's biblical because God calls us to excellence. He calls us to move forward. But here, what Paul's t- telling the, the Colossians is that you already possess excellence. You already possess the best thing, the fullness in Christ. And so when he speaks to the Colossians here, he's saying, these guys are offering you an upgrade. These guys are offering you something greater. You know, they want to they put you on this higher level. They want you to be in a place where you feel like you have a greater spiritual ranking. But Paul tells them, you don't need to do that because you already have that. You can't go higher than Jesus. And Paul starts out making that declaration in chapter 1, uh, verse 15, where he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says Jesus is God. You, if you have God, if you have Jesus, you have God. You have the fullness of the Godhead who dwells bodily within Christ. And he, he goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He, he's the one who participated in creation with the Father and, and created all things. So if you're trying to get something less than the creator, you're aiming at creation, something that was made, not someone who is the maker. And Paul is pointing out again and again, you already have these things. They belong to you when you uh, identify with Jesus. When you place your active trust in Christ, you belong to him. And so he's been 
mentioning this to them. He's been trying to tell them, uh, you know, that these, these, uh, the false teacher's message is insufficient. It's never going to satisfy. And, and in a sense, he's kind of coming back. Uh, he's trying to get their mindset in the right place. Uh, a phrase that we use a lot in our church, you know, we, use the, we come back to it again and again. You got to get your mind right so your game is tight, right? Mind right, game tight. If your mind is right, your mind is transformed, your mind is set on the gospel, then your actions, your earthly, your day-to-day, it's going to be right. Your game is going to be tight. So get your mind right and your game tight. And that's kind of what Paul's trying to do to them again. He wants them to understand that your state, who you are, your position, it dictates your behavior. It, it, it informs your actions. When, when you have an understanding, when you, when you are... Uh, given a position of authority or a position of power, then all of a sudden you're going around, you know, trying to tell people what to do and exercising that authority because someone has placed that authority on you. But if you're just kind of in a group of people and someone's like, why don't you go do this? You're like, well, I'm, I'm not really in charge. I, I can't really do that. It's because you, you haven't been given that authority. You haven't been given that power. And, and so here, Paul calls them to focus on their status as being in Christ. He wants them to understand that they are in Christ. They belong to him. Their, their mindset should be that they are united with Jesus and their status is uh, one of being saints. Not saints in the, in the realm of perfection, but rather uh, they are made holy. They're sanctified. They're set apart. This is what he's exhorted them to earlier in chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he wants them to understand that. He, he comes back to that. He's trying to remind them, you are in Christ. If you notice, he's echoed it just two times there, but throughout the book, he keeps saying it again and again and again. He says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then he says that uh, you should be rooted and built up in him. He's trying to connect that. Get your mind right so your game is tight. Now, Paul, he's going to, he wants to focus here on their, on their union with Christ. And, and he's done this all throughout chapter 2, as I've said. You know, he, he, as we've been going over the last couple weeks, that we have been... Uh, uh, We've experienced death with him. We were buried with him in baptism. We were raised in him. Uh, and so he's, he's kind of harping on the same thing theme again and again. And so because we are Jesus's redeemed people, our identity is found in Christ, and it should be manifested both in our our. Uh, inner life, in our, in our personal holiness, and in our external life, when we go out into the world and live God-glorifying lives in the areas of influence and the sphere that God has put us in. And so, this morning, we come to verse 1, and Paul's, uh, Paul's passage here. Oops, I'm in Ephesians in my Bible. I must have changed it. There we go. All right. So, we come to verse 1, uh, where Paul is beginning to remind them again of the importance of finding their union with Christ. He says, If you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
So Paul starts out here giving us a, a couple quick things, and they're things that we pass over real quickly, right? Because these are, these are things that, uh, you know, they get put on posters and, you know, posted on Instagram. And it's like, oh yeah, we just read a verse really fast. But let's bring some context here. Let's, let's bring it out. So he, he starts off saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. We'll just take that phrase to start off with. What, he, what he's telling us here is that those who belong to Jesus, those who are Christians, have experienced a spiritual resurrection with Christ. And, and as a, in order to be resurrected, again, you have to be dead. You have to be dead previously. And, th- and that's what Paul uh, has remarked in uh, throughout chapter 2. He's like, you were dead. You were once dead. He says this in, uh, in the book of Ephesians as well. You were dead in your trespasses. He says it in Romans again and again. And, and sometimes we don't, we, it doesn't kind of get through our head. But in order to be raised, we have to recognize that we were once dead, and we have to remember that, that we've been made new. We've been recreated. Now, the reason that we are raised <coughs> with Christ is because Jesus has been raised by the Father for our justification, if Jesus isn't raised, we don't get to be raised. Romans tells us that we have been raised, uh, Jesus was raised for our justification. And so that's why Paul not only says that Christ has been raised, but that also he's seated at the right hand of God. So he connects uh, this resurrection, being raised, with both our justification and with Christ's exaltation. He's been seated at the right hand of God. He references uh, this similar idea in Romans 6, verse 4. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And then in verse 10, for the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So his exhortation to the Colossians and to the Romans there is that if you are alive, you should act alive. Don't act like you're dead. And he tells them how to do it. He, the next thing that he says is, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, Paul gives two commands that we ought to obey as God's people who are raised with Christ. The first one is seek the things that are above. And uh, I think the NIV translation gives us a little bit more insight um, into what, what we're looking at here. It says in, in uh, the NIV translation uh, this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if you notice there, there's just a, a little bit of a, uh, a twist in that phrasing. Here in uh, the version that we've been reading from the ESV, it says, seek the things that are above. But in the NIV, it says, set your heart on things above. And that's really like kind of the language of our culture, right? Follow your heart, you know? You, you want to you know, uh, you're protecting that. It's, it's the center of a person who's, who's uh, directing you. When you're seeking something, no, one, no one's like, I'm going to seek out food, you know? It, but when we talk about thinking about something, what we really want, it comes from this, from this inner being of who we are, our person. And so what Paul's saying here is that we should uh, be consumed. We should set our minds and our hearts upon what is above, 
Now, what he's not saying here, let's be clear, is that we shouldn't be consumed with things above. That doesn't mean like all of a sudden you should be obsessed with like angels, heaven, like all these spiritual things. What he's trying to basically say to communicate is that our hearts focus, the orientation. Remember last week we kind of talked about uh, how the false teachers, their, te- their teaching was characterized by being unspiritual. Their compass was off. They had the right idea. They wanted to, to grow in their walk. They wanted to know Jesus more. They wanted to, to go beyond, but their compass was rooted in earthly things. And so here, like a compass, we need to have it calibrated. If you get your compass next to like a magnet too much, then it'll like all mess it up, and then it, it won't have like a magnetic north. You need to have it correctly uh, set. If it's not calibrated properly, you're going to be in the wrong, going in the wrong direction, right? We don't really know what compasses are these days. If you haven't done this with, with your phone to set the compass, you know, that I make you do on your iPhone now, if you haven't done that, you're going to be going in the wrong direction. That's what I'm saying. You ever, you ever like sit in the car at a stoplight and you, all of a sudden you see someone going like this? You think they're dancing, but really they're trying to just get their maps to work. It's just so bizarre. I don't want to make us do that. So Paul, he's trying to get them to orient their heart around things above. And so we have to be reminding ourselves and each other to place our trust in Jesus. We need to be reminding each other that we belong to him. And the word that Paul uses here when he says, seek the things above, he uses a, 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 um, a tense that means to keep on doing it. So what he's saying here is keep seeking, keep setting your heart on things above. It's not, it's a continual act. It's not enough to just do it one time, but you have to keep on doing it. You have to keep focusing. So how can we seek the things above? Two ways, by, ten, by intentionally living in a way that we are following the, uh, Christ to the cross and by dying to ourselves and daily committing ourselves to live under uh, what scripture tells us about the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us in uh, Luke 9, verse 23, that again, this is a daily commitment. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's not enough to do it one day. You got to do it the next day and the day after that and the day after that. And so when we understand who we are in Christ, when we get our mind right, and we start there, that we are adopted, that we are accepted, that we are saints, then our earthly life works out. Our game will be tight. However, if we start with an earthly life, an earthly mindset, we end up trying to justify ourselves. We end up trying to make ourselves righteous before God and before others, and we end up seeking earthly things, much like these false teachers were doing. And so Christ here is seated at the right hand of the Father, And because Jesus is seated here, Paul's saying two things to us. And this is important for our mindset. It's important for the Colossians to recognize this because when, when Christ is seen as seated at the right hand of God, what he's, he, he's simultaneously saying is that the work is finished. Jesus is done. He's not standing up and, you know, he's not trying to like keep working towards our salvation, but it's done. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. And so he, you cannot add to your salvation, so you don't need to pay attention to these false teachers and do what they've told you to do. But also, he says that Jesus is above. So when he tells them to seek the things that are above, he's saying, 
Jesus is above, so you should probably follow where Jesus is looking. Don't be looking here where the false teachers are telling you to look. <clears throat> and then he tells them in verse 2, uh, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, I love this because this is also, like, we keep coming, it seems like we go through seasons in our church where, like, we hit the same topic, like, again and again and again and again in over different books that we've been in. And this one, it's like, mind right, game tight, and then also, you know, dealing with your heart and your mind together. And when, in the um, NIV translation there, it says, Set your heart on things, you know, uh, that we said, set your heart on things that are above. And now he speaks to it through the language of set your mind on things that are above. So he's engaging both. Set your heart and your mind. It's not enough to just have one. You got to have both. You got to have both engaged. Your mind's attention has to be on Jesus, heart's affection on Jesus, both. You can't have your mind's attention on earth, but then try to set your heart's affection on Christ. It doesn't work. You've got to have both. He commands both. Mind's attention, heart's affection on Jesus. So set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And, and he's referring to that mental process as we've talked, but also, again, that, that will that drive, that you are paying attention, you're constantly thinking about, here's the direction I'm thinking, and I'm thinking of Jesus, I'm thinking of the things that are above. Now, this has been illustrated to me just brilliantly um, in the way that my kids act in the way that I acted when I was a kid. Recently, uh, we got our first TV as a family, and so um, we were thinking about getting TV. We we're thinking about getting it so we could watch baseball games and have you guys over. We watched a movie on like a really small screen. We're like, that's not going to work. You know, trying to get eight people like crammed around this really small screen. And, and so we, we, uh, we were thinking about it and I was kind of doing all the research and going through it. And uh, I was like, I, I came to the end of my, my kind of research of like, okay, my budget is really low and I cannot tell based upon these online reviews. So I need to go in person. So I took my son with me, and we went over uh, to the store, and we looked at some of them, and we're like, okay, like, the ones we're looking at are only on this aisle. And we looked, and I'm like, okay, let me see which one we think we want to get. And uh, I came away, he's like, do you think you got it? You think this is it? I'm like, yeah, I think, I think, I think this is the one, but I'm, I'm not sure. You gotta, also got to go home and talk to mom and see what she thinks. And so we, you know, he's like, are we going to get it today? I'm like, uh, I don't, not, not today. We've got to go talk to mom. So we went home and we talked, but seriously, like every spare moment since then, until we got the TV, it was like, do you think today is the day we're going to get it? Do you think that we're going to go get this TV today? It just all the time. We could be like with people. We could, it could be like bedtime, about to go to sleep. It's like, are we going to get it tomorrow? It just mind consumed with one day we are going to get it, and is this going to be the day? You know, that's kind of how, that's kind of how we all are about certain things. There's, whether you're looking towards, uh, you know, a vacation, or whether you're looking towards family coming to visit, or you're looking towards, uh, you know, a big purchase uh, for your family. <coughs> Those are the sorts of orientations that we, we place our, our minds around. And, and what Paul's telling us here is that, we need to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. And he's speaking in the context of, uh, you know, th this false, these false teachers. Uh, 
And, and they're expecting, these Colossians are expecting to hear this false teaching and, and to be fulfilled. But Paul says, you need to set your mind on things above that will fulfill, not on things that are on the earth. And he's contrasting uh, those things with Jesus who was above, as he just told us, with the Father, with false teachers who are obsessed, they're preoccupied with these earthly things. And so he wants them to have a heavenly focus. Now, there's no better person to speak to this than Paul, because in Philippians chapter 3, he tells us about his heavenly focus. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul had that heavenly mindset, that heavenly focus. He was able to say that his heart and mind were both engaged. And that's what he's trying to tell us. You need to have that state of mind because that's going to make it so that way your day-to-day life, you got to get that mind right so your game is tight, right? That's what he's been trying to communicate to us. And then he reminds us of that, of that um, work that Christ has done on our behalf. He tells us that we have died. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Earlier in uh, Colossians, he tells us you've died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. You're done. It's over. You are dead to those things. You've died and now you have life. Now, oftentimes, our behavior doesn't reflect that we've died. We try to live the life of a dead man. We've died to the things of this world, to the elemental forces and the spiritual, uh, you know, authorities and, and all the things, the false teaching. But somehow, even though we've been made alive in Christ, like the Colossians, we're tempted to go to this life of the dead man. We want to go and to take up the things of old. We want to go and to invest in earthly things, as Paul puts it. But he reminds us that that's not where we are to invest. Because in dying, in, in dying with Christ, it means that we are united with him. We are united with him, verse 20 uh, of chapter 2 tells us, in death. He says, in, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world there. In verse 12 of chapter 2, he says that we've been united with him in burial. We've been buried with him in baptism. And then in verse 12, he also says that we've been united with him in resurrection. You were raised with him through faith. So Paul tells us that we are united with Christ, and it's done through death, burial, and resurrection. And so we cannot go back. We've been made alive as a new creation. And he tells us more than that. He tells us that we're so united with Christ, we're so connected with him, that we're hidden in him. We're hidden with him. He says, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Now, in the Old Testament, being hidden, this language of being hidden meant security. You can look at, uh, there's a lot of places where it speaks to that, but just as one example uh, of being hidden, in Psalm 27, verse 5, the psalmist writes this of the Lord. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. What's, what it's speaking of there, what the psalmist is speaking of, is that, that there's a security that's found with the Lord. That, that he will be concealed, he will be hidden, he will be set high upon a rock that no one can attack him. He will, be, he will find security. And so what Paul's telling us here is that Christians who are clothed in Christ's righteousness are hidden from the wrath of God. They're accepted in Christ. If you've been hidden uh, with Christ in God, and Christ is in God and we are in Christ, and so we are in God, your life is safe and secure with Jesus. You've been hidden with Christ in God. You, You don't have to be afraid of the elemental spirits of this world. You don't have to uh, be fearful that you're not, uh, you, you know, you're not, um, you're not saved, that you don't have uh, this anxiety and worry hanging over your head. When you actively place your trust in Jesus, you identify with Christ. You have been, you've died with him, you've been buried with him, you've been resurrected with him. And so Paul says, don't seek you know, this security and false teaching, because there's none to be had. Security is only found in Jesus. And he, he goes on to, to kind of identify that even a little bit further in verse 4, because he says, you've died, you've been buried, you've been resurrected, and you're, you're in Christ, but yet we're still in kind of these earthly bodies. And he takes care of that in verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So I love what Paul does here to start it off. He's just beating the same Jesus drum, Jesus in him. He's the best. You should be in him. Like he's just, he's all about it all the time. He just never says anything else except for that. It's great. And and I love how he says it. When Christ, who is your life, appears. I love how how he does that. Christ is who is your life. His Christological focus there is so important, you know, and that kind of just gives us the way that we should view all false teaching because basically what he's saying is Jesus should be your life. He's the one who has created you. He has the one who has saved you by his grace. He's the one who sustains you every day. He's the one who keeps you. Jesus is your life. And he says that Jesus should be your life because the Colossians are tempted to not make Jesus their life. And that's the accusation that he makes against the false teachers. They've left the head. They've been disconnected. They're doing their own thing. And, and when he says that, I love how he, how he kind of puts that phrase. Because it's a common kind of phrase that we use in our day in a sense. But a lot of times Jesus isn't connected to it. You know, it's like, oh man, music is my life. Or probably for me, coffee is my life. That's probably, you know, more of the, the accusation. Or, or whatever it is, my family, that's my life. But what Paul tells us here is, if you want to get it right, Jesus needs to be your life. 
the one who has made you, the one who has sustained you, the one who has saved you, and the one who keeps you. Jesus should be your life. And he, he just beats on it throughout the whole book. It's so great. <clears throat> Paul made Christ his life. In Philippians 1, it was how he was able to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He was like, I'm, I, Jesus is so, I'm so all about Jesus that even if I'm facing death, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's going to bring me to Jesus quicker. Do what you got to do. If I live, Jesus. If I die, Jesus. You got nothing on me. You can't take my life because my life isn't my life. Jesus is my life. He's bulletproof. You can't do anything to him. And that's really what, what we want. That's really what we're trying to protect ourselves from when we're going out and we're trying to uh, fill ourselves with other things in this life. You know, when we make school, uh, you know, purchases. It's like we're expecting fulfillment but then it fails. We have all this anxiety, like, did I do the right thing? Should I have spent my time there? When you invest in Jesus, he never fails. When you spend your time building your life around Christ, you're building around a foundation that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away. And so Paul tells them, when Christ, who is your life, appears, when he shows up, he's speaking of, of the second coming here, then you will also will appear with him in glory. And so the Colossians, their life is hidden with Christ and God. It's um, concealed to a certain extent. And the world doesn't recognize them, especially these false teachers, because they're trying to uh, persuade them to, to listen to their, uh, you know, their own lies here. And so Paul is reminding the Colossians that not only have you died with him, have you been buried with him, have you been resurrected with him, but also you'll be glorified with him. You will share in Christ's glory and his likeness when, when he returns. <clears throat> and so although we're justified because of the resurrection, we're not yet glorified. We're, we're in that state where it's already not yet. We're seen as perfect and holy before God, but like, you know, the way, that, uh, the way that we are in this, on this earth when we lie, when we are selfish, it's clear that we're not perfect and holy on this earth. There's an already not yet tension. We're already declared to be holy in, in the sight of God, that he looks upon us and sees Jesus' life in our place. But yet, we're still struggling through this life in the process of sanctification, becoming set apart and more like Jesus. So our present state here, although we're declared to be righteous, our present state is concealed. We're, we're hidden a bit. First uh, John 3 says this, Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So we're, we're God's children now, and yet when he appears, we will be like him, and, and we will see him. We'll have a transformation to be like him. Romans 8, verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
So we're justified, but not yet glorified, not yet given new resurrected bodies. And that's what Paul is looking forward to. In Philippians 3.20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven above, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. So Paul, his, his uh, emphasis here is that when we place our trust in Christ, when we look to him as being who he said he is, when we recognize that we have been justified and made whole, and we're, we, we have everything that we need in Jesus, we're going to live in a way that is in accordance with Christ on who is above with the Father. And because Christ has been faithful to keep his word to uh, resurrect us, we will also then be glorified. So what Paul's ultimately telling these Colossians is like, the false teachers are lying to you. You already have what you need. I already... You already possess what it is that you need to be glorified, to see a, a greater day come. You're seeking that, and the false teachers are seeking that, but they're seeking it on an earthly level, but you've already been given it uh, because of what Christ has done. Because Christ is seated, because you don't have to do anything, you already have what you need to know and enjoy Jesus today and forevermore. So don't spin your wheel, spin your wheels trying to add on or you know upgrade. You're already upgraded. You can't upgrade anymore. You've got it. You've got it all. You have everything that you need to enjoy Jesus. And somehow in that in our world that doesn't sit right with us because we always think there's got to be an upgrade, right? There's always something, and there's always. It's hard for us to kind of sit still and to wait. You know, it's like, well, I'm just going to, I want to move to the next level or I want to go on. But what Paul says is, like, you, you, it's so wonderful what Jesus has given us that there's nothing to move on to. And <clears throat> when we're trying to, to participate in going beyond, when we're trying to, when we're giving in to the, the, the lies of the false teachers who say, there's more, that you can, you can participate in these disciplines and receive more, when we, part, when we give in to those lies, what we're, what we're actually doing is saying that Jesus isn't enough and that he couldn't possibly satisfy. But Paul's argument is he has satisfied and he will satisfy you. Get your mind right. Remember who you are in Christ, that he has saved you. He has redeemed you. You, have, you were once dead, and you were made alive. The false teachers didn't make you alive. Jesus made you alive. The lies of, of these false teachings didn't make you alive. They're not going to bring you back from the dead. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has done that. And it's only Jesus in whom you're going to find life. He will be the only one who can satisfy. And, and I love that 
I love the comparison when you think about it in terms of death. Because, right, the grave is never satisfied. It always is consuming people, but Jesus is the one who's defeated that. The grave has been satisfied, and it cannot have any claim upon you and I. We've been resurrected because Jesus is so satisfying that he broke it. It's done. Death is broken because Jesus is so satisfying that he broke something that could not be satisfied. It's just it's crazy to think about how wonderful and, and, and amazing it is to see all that Jesus offers us and gives us, and we just have to reach out and take it. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us. As we press into him and, and, and uh, approach him, he's there waiting to meet our needs to satisfy our deepest longings. He's the one who can see us through every, uh, every trial and tribulation, every bit of anxiety and worry. He is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. So you can't possibly go wrong with Christ. When you invest in other things, they have a time frame, they're temporal. But Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. Set your heart on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Because Christ is our life. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to do that work within us. To call us to respond to that work of Christ upon the cross. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us Um, submit our minds to the Lord so that he can change and transform them for his glory. So let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that you have done a great work at the cross. Lord, we're thankful that you have redeemed us and made us brand new and that we have new life because you have defeated death. The thing that no one could ever defeat, you have destroyed the grave. Lord, you have resurrected us. And so, Lord, we want to give you glory. Lord, we want to remember that we have been made new. We are saints because of the faithfulness of Jesus. And so help us to have minds that are submitted to you, that we want to set our our minds, attention, and our hearts' affection upon Jesus now and respond in worship. And so we're thankful for your loving kindness and faithfulness towards us. We love you. Amen.